This is PhD Mystified, a series about the unspoken challenges of becoming a scientist. We invite faculty from the University of Pennsylvania to share their personal journeys and reflect on the struggles that students and early career scientists face today. My name is Lara, and I am an early career scientist interested in trying to ease the anxiety felt while navigating through college and beyond. In this episode, we hear from Dr. David Leiden Stolle, a communications professor whose research focuses on substance abuse, emotional regulation, and curiosity across a lifespan. While Dr. Leiden Stolle shares his journey, he touches on subjects like following what excites you, finding a good fit, and figuring out what you want from a career. Hi, my name is David, and I am an assistant professor in the Annenberg School for Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. And um, to start, I guess I'm going to tell my story of how I got here. Um, so uh, when I think back, and I don't retrospect a lot, I tend to just get really excited about what, what I'm doing in the current, current moment and think about the next project or um, what I have to do over the next couple of weeks. Um, but in prep for this, I started kind of thinking about um, what you know, a younger version would me, of me would have said if I told them, you're going to end up uh, as an assistant professor of communication at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, just living in America. So I'm Irish originally. That's where I was born and raised. Um, I only came to America um, after my undergraduate um, degree. And uh, so younger me would have kind of, one would probably have no idea what it means to be uh, an assistant professor. So I'm first gen. Um, my sister went to, to college and my siblings, but um, none of my parents did. And I was always a giant nerd um, throughout school. So I loved school. I loved um, everything to do with it. So every subject, there wasn't like one that I was like, this is my obsession and I hate everything else. Or, you know, I wasn't the kid that doesn't like, you know, the sciences, but likes the art. I just loved everything. And so I was always really excited going to school, um, especially going to secondary school. So this is uh, the American equivalent would be kind of like a combined middle and high school. Um, and in secondary school, um, I got to study a lot more things than I did in primary school. And so rather than kind of going through this like angsty teen phase about having to do all this, all this stuff, I was just like, oh my gosh, I got to study French and art um, and history and geography. Um, and I just found it really, 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 really exciting. Um, and so I guess in terms of like what I thought I would be doing at this point in my life, um, first, I obviously wanted to be an astronaut, like I think most people do. Nice. And then I was like, no, I'll be like an architect. And then, you know, Jurassic Park came out and I was like, actually, I'm going to work with dinosaurs. Nice. Um, and then I was like, maybe I'll be a scientist or maybe I'll be an artist. And it was really in kind of like high school, secondary school that I got really into science. And so I loved biology, I loved physics, I loved chemistry, I loved mathematics. Um, but then on the side, I was doing like a lot of art and I, I was also an Irish dancer. Um, and so when it kind of came time to start thinking about what I was going to specialize in, um, I was like, maybe I'll do like science or something. Um, I didn't know what that would look like after school. Um, and so in my head, I was like, uh, you know, I'll go to college and then I'll become a teacher because I like books do. and that's yeah. what people people did. Um, and then uh, as I got closer to kind of uh, graduating from, from secondary school, so maybe in the last two years, I got really obsessed with English literature. Um, and so then when it came time to go to college, I was like, okay, I'm going to do English, obviously, because that's something I love and I need to get better at it. <laughs> so, um, 
So my like list of top 10 was English and math, English and French, English and this, English and that, basically English all the way down um, and another subject. Um, and then just to give you a sense of like how little idea I knew what I was going to do um, going forward, it was the day before the deadline where we had to decide like what was going to be on that list when your points came out and you got an offer from um, the state. And um, I was like, you know, English and math doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, it did to me, like I liked math, I liked English, yeah, yeah, so why yeah. not? But um, I was like, maybe it would be cool to do English and psychology, knowing not knowing what psychology was, really. I just had this vision of like, you know, psychoanalyzing English literature texts. And so I'd have like another tool to bring to, to books. Um, and I just did that on a whim. And that's what I ended up getting. Um, so I went to Trinity College of Dublin in Dublin City. I grew up in the countryside, so this was like a cool foray into the, into the city. And I studied English and psychology for four years. Um, loved it, loved everything about it. Um, I loved both subjects equally. It was um, just like a really good program for me. It was a really good fit. Um, and wh while I was doing that, I kind of got into developmental psychology that was the thing that spoke to me the most most and so developmental psychology is like all about how we change over time or we how we stay consistent so it's all about consistency and change um and i didn't know that psychology came with statistics um so anyone listening who's in, in psychology will know that like research methods are a huge part of psychology i thought i was going to be you know just reading books and psychoanalyzing that's not what psychology is these days um but I really enjoyed that part. Um, I think because I loved math growing up, um, I thought I'd kind of left it behind, but it was it was a nice, like, it was like built into psychology. Um, so in my final year, we had to do like a research project and um, I kind of went with my developmental psych kind of interest and I looked at like facial expression recognition in, yeah, and children, adolescents, and adults. So I was traveling all over Ireland to schools and collecting data. And it just this idea that you could come up with a question, read the literature really kind of broadly, come up with a question that you cared about, and then you could go out and like find an answer to that. That appealed to me a lot. And so when it came time to think about what I was going to do next, I was like, well, I'll probably go to grad school. And then I had a better idea of what it meant to like, be um, yeah, be a professor and be like in that environment. So it kind of turned from being like, maybe I can be a teacher in secondary school to maybe I can be a professor. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I still didn't have a very good sense uh, what other options were, were out there, but um, that had built me. And so then I took a year out after, uh, after undergrad and um, I fell in love and uh, I moved to America on a, uh, it was like a work internship visa thing. Um, originally, so my now husband, we, he was going to go, uh, teach English in China for a year. We were both finishing up our undergrad. Um, and, uh, like we both got jobs in schools, um, right across from one another. And, um, but before we could fly out the day before he was supposed to fly out, his back gave up and he had to have surgery. Oh no. So, I know. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just come to America. Like I'd been planning on <laughs> taking her out yeah, and just, yeah, yeah. you know, doing something new. I was like, okay, I'm gonna to go to grad school, probably something with like psychology, developmental science. Again, didn't know anything about applying to grad school. So I did the, like, I didn't know what the GREs were, did very little preparation for them. It turned out because I, you know, I, I studied English and that was a big part of it. And I was- Very lucky. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of luck. And 
um, you know, I applied to, I think maybe one PhD program, one master's program, which is probably not, probably isn't what people would recommend, but I don't know, I was blissfully ignorant, just um, <laughs> applying for things without any idea of what I was doing. And uh, I applied to a PhD in human development and family studies at Penn State. And so I started that program and I was working in a lab that was all about like uh, how the brain development develops over time and how that uh, impacts risk-taking during adolescence. So that was, um, and then I kind of did what I, what I always do is which I like, I fall into kind of like things, like I fell into English and psychology and this PhD program and I just kind of loved it. Like, uh, and I just kind of threw myself into it, into it. And I, um, I really enjoyed reading um you know it's your job like you read and you, you do research um and i was really lucky that there were it was it, you kind of were admitted to the program with like an advisor but you could mm -hmm. work with like lots of different people oh that's really cool yeah so i ended up working i ended up doing a lot of reading on adolescent risk-taking and brain development and so my first year was just like a lit review on that and you know i tried to read every single thing i could and so that was like a base um, but then I started working with people who had data and I was getting really into research methods. And so I ended up like doing papers on alcohol use and sleep and, um, emotions and families. Um, and so kind of this like mixed bag of things, which I feel like is, sometimes people will tell you like, don't do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> go after one thing consistently. So you, you know, you develop depth, but, um, I was having a really good time and uh it you know i was i was getting publications so i wasn't worried that like i was spread too thin or whatever um and but it probably it did become a little bit of a challenge so i guess my biggest challenge in um the phd was in towards the end where i was like okay i'm like ready to go now um, i want to go and do like a postdoc or apply for like uh, professor positions um but I felt like the thing I came to grad school to do, so to like understand the brain, I didn't really get a lot of exposure to. I was a first grad student in the lab. Um, so I didn't have like, I feel like a lot of training during your PhD actually happens through other grad students and other postdocs, especially for something like imaging, which just, just takes, so this functional magnetic resonance imaging, which just takes like forever to like dig in through. And it's not like other types of data where you, I don't know, you, you don't even know how to like open a data set and like, yeah. look at it, right. It's just like this weird kind of modality and type of data. But I was, I was very frustrated. I felt like I wasn't getting the training I needed. I felt like I wasn't able to just like put my head down, work and get out. It was just like things out of my control. And, um, that's when I realized that I really love autonomy. <laughs> So I was in a I was in a situation where it was like I'm not autonomous. I don't have like the power over like my destiny, and this is not in line with how I like to function. Um, and so it was just a lot of like tears and like you know trying to switch labs in my last year to just get out projects that I was doing that you know I was able to do. I had the skills to do, and I could do quickly and, and bundle them together as a dissertation um, just to get out. Um, and so, you know, then I kind of like ended up putting a dissertation together. I wasn't super like passionate about it, but it was like a way to get out. And part of what helped was um, I had a postdoc in hand. So I had like, I think I, um, I was uh, supposed to give my dissertation proposal in, I don't know, like October or November or something. And 
the, the weekend before the proposal, which was on Monday, I was on vacation with my husband and um, I uh, get this email from my advisor, which was like, oh, one of your um, dissertation committee members um, had some issues with the proposal. Can you make sure to address these um, during your presentation on Monday? Oh, and no. so I look, I look at these, so this is, you know, getting this on yeah. Saturday or Sunday, it's like, okay. And I look at the message that was forwarded and it was basically just like, hi, I have no idea what he's doing or what any of this means. Oh no, um, and I, <laughs> it's not even specific. Yeah, this, and it was, just, it was no. very frustrating because, you know, my advisor throughout was kind of like, looks great, perfect, brilliant, you know, uh, let's do this. And then I get this email that's just like, yeah, what, what is this? And so then I like was on vacation and I got the message and then I just like my heart sank and then I just was like crying in the bathtub at the at the Airbnb um, and I was like I'm never going to get out of this program. Um, and so then I had like this crisis where I was well I just emailed my committee and was like all right I can't like, like it's not happening yeah. I'm going to have to postpone this. Of course. Um, and in the meantime I think I had some like postdoc interviews like set up and they went well and I got a, I got like a postdoc. Oh, um, that's awesome. So that was great. So I was like, okay, end in sight, but now I have to do a dissertation. <laughs> I still <laughs> got to get that, yeah. that thing done. And then, you know, and then it, it turned out fine. Like I, I just kind of uh, did like the, a dissertation uh, meeting. I like an ad, added an extra study or something. The meeting went fine. It felt weird. I don't know what like was happening behind the scenes. Like, I feel like that's the most frustrating thing when you're like a graduate student, it's like there are probably conversations happening between your committee members in the background. You don't get to see any of that. You just have them kind of asking you questions that you're like, why are you, I don't understand why you're asking that question or like what, but, and then it was fine. And I like won awards for my dissertation. And I was like, this is all like <laughs> nonsense. And you made me so stressed out for no reason. Oh no. Um, and so I just became like acutely aware of like, I, I feel like I always haven't, I like, I hate like the hate is a strong word, but I'm always very uncomfortable when it comes to like the power dynamics between like students and faculty and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And so like, sometimes you can end up in positions where it's like, this is not what I want. And I understand that there's like a process that you have to go through, but it's often like, um, comes down to one or two people to decide whether it's an appropriate pathway out or anything. Anyway, that was long and a lot of revealing information that I didn't plan to reveal <laughs> at the beginning. I have but a I think feeling it's there's going to be a lot of that uh, as we <laughs> go through this series. Sorry. Right. I, I think it's important. I think, you it know, is, I think it's important it to, for people to know that, like, at the end of the day, we're human. Yes. And, and the struggles you look are at, real. The struggles are real. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all about fit, which is annoying because, like, fit is just weird, uh, like, amorphous thing that's really hard to define and you don't know it until it's not there. But anyway, then I started um, a postdoc and I had like the best three years of my entire life. Like it was the coolest thing ever. And part of it was, I, it was in Philly. Um, so I was in a city again and I, I hadn't, I wasn't in a city for my, my PhD. And so that was frustrating too. But so it was in a city. Um, my boss was the best person, is the best person in the world. She was basically like at our first uh, meeting, um, we sat down and she was like, so what do you want to do? And I was like, oh uh maybe this and she's like yeah cool like That's what do you awesome. need like let's do it um and and it wasn't just like she also um like scaffolded experiences too which is really so because I didn't have much um fMRI training in, in during my PhD that was kind of one thing I really wanted to get from my postdoc 
And so that's that's one one thing that when people are looking for postdocs, like you can use it to like, you know, get your publications up, but also to gain skills that you didn't feel like you got um, during your PhD. And so that whole like three years was just like a really fun time of um, having lots of autonomy. So feeling like I could go after the things that I wanted to go after, being supported in terms of like, you know, resources, like I was able to run studies because um, my advisor was really generous that way, but resources as well as like intellectual contributions, like we would meet weekly and like, you know, throw ideas around. She was always very generous with her ideas. And then I applied to um, jobs. I'd been applying to like faculty jobs since I was in like maybe my last year of PhD. Okay. But I never heard anything back <laughs> until, my, <laughs> until my most recent uh, uh, year where I got the job at um, Annenberg as an assistant professor. And that was like just the coolest thing ever because I love that department. I love the department I'm in. It's a communication department, which again is like different from every department I've been in before. So you can see like a theme of just chasing after whatever I think will be fun. Um, and everyone there, there does a lot of like different work. So there's like lots of interdisciplinary work going on. And so it's, and it's kind of encouraged too. Um, and so I've been there since July and it's just been going like really well. It's, um, I've been really enjoying it. I feel like I have a lot of freedom. I've loved starting up a lab. I didn't kind of anticipate or think too much about that. Like I, I kind of have been in a couple of labs. So I, I kind of would always kind of, kind of think about like how the labs were set up and what that meant. Um, but just having like a team who have their own ideas of where they want to go and what they want to do is like really inspiring. And I love, that's like my favorite part of the week when I get to talk like ideas with the mentees in my lab. Um, so I guess if I was to sum up that, uh, I would say, uh, in contrast to like the story you have to tell in your cover letter or in your CV or like when you're applying for things, it's been kind of like haphazard, like falling into things and just being excited and willing to go where, you know, things are taking you. Um, and I think part of what facilitated that was getting like depth, like early on. So doing that, like lit review in first year of grad school. And so having a good command over like the, that literature was really helpful. I think when I then went to talk to people, it was like, okay, you have like a core thing um, and developing method skills that can be applied to like anything. Well, that was very awesome. So I think the first question that I wanted to ask, uh, since you jumped from psychology to bioengineering to finally communications, mm -hmm. do you have any advice for those early in their research trying to figure out what they want to do? None. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> let me, let me, um, I would say whenever someone gives you advice, listen and, but also acknowledge that there's a lot going on. Everyone's journey is different. And anyone kind of talking to you from like an assistant professor or professor position, there are all these things that have happened behind the scenes that even we don't know about. We don't know how we like got here or like, you know, what popped out in our job materials or if it was, most of it is probably look and all that. Um, but in terms of like thinking about what to study, the approach that, um, worked for me was to just go after what I thought was exciting because then it didn't feel like work and that's really helpful um, because this is like it's a really long process if you're doing your PhD it's you're talking years and 
you can definitely treat it like a job. Um, and I think that's like healthy. Um, but like any job, it's easier to wake up and get your computer if it's something that you're passionate about. And, and there are some things that are like, you're just, I don't know, like case space in fMRI and MRI, for example, is something that I'm like, this means nothing to me, <laughs> but it's like <laughs> something that I need to know. Yeah. And so there, there even in, in things you're passionate about, there might be some things that it's like, okay, this is a slog and I need to get through it. Um, but I think being open to, I was going to say, say something really corny and I'm going to say it, but, then, but like, listen, listening to yourself, like reflecting on yourself and kind of realizing like when you're working on something that you're that kind of motivates you versus you're doing it just because you have to type thing and I think once you kind of like identify those feelings you can start to see like where you're you're kind of being pulled um yeah and I, and I don't know like I, I don't know if it's you just have to adopt like a curious mindset where you kind of like it kind of comes naturally for me. Like if I work on anything for long enough, I'm going to find it interesting. Right. And I think like, and I'm sure that's like something you just develop over time or whatever, but um, yeah. Cool. Do that somehow. Do that. <laughs> my, that's so good. Okay. Um, my next question that I have on here is, have you come across any resistance being part of the LGBTQ plus community? and in going in going through your research career um i don't think so but it's also the kind of thing where you don't know right like you don't know if um you know you put in your job materials and um they see well so for i'm i'm i've always been open in terms of like in my career like every ever since starting like grad school I uh -huh. think, you know um, very open about my status as a gay man. Uh -huh. And so, um, and that's a choice. I think for me, I have like privilege in that I'm like a white dude. Um, and so, you know, I don't have that like intersectional stuff, which makes life even more kind of difficult in terms of how other people like view you or the biases people have against you. And so, um, I kind of made a decision early on to just be very, upfront about that, uh, to be outspoken about it. And so any of my materials that you look at, it's like I list my um, like engagement in like LGBT groups and um, like volunteer positions and all that kind of stuff, because I think that representation is important. Um, I have, so yeah, I have no idea though, whether that like worked against me or in, in some situations. Um, and I think, um like part of me i don't know i'm kind of stubborn i guess but i'm like if like if people have like an issue with me being gay then uh -huh. they don't deserve my, like, yeah, my time or energy right and it's also a very like privileged one right it yes, means that like i think i think i have would have options outside of like academia or whatever right like i'm not i would i just love research so if like you know Penn was like, no, we don't like you anymore. And I couldn't get a job elsewhere. Um, you know, I'd be happy working in, in academia or whatever, uh, or outside of academia. But, um, and so I think like having that, feeling like I have some sort of backup has made that like, it's been easier to make that decision of being open and out. Nice, nice. Um, okay, 
So I think this one is going to be the next one. Was there any surprising skill perhaps learned from like extracurricular activities that you learned outside of academia that has helped your professional career? Um, Well, this is going to sound weird, but uh, I am a two-time world champion Irish dancer. Um, And so from when I was like, you know, 15, 16 or something like that. Um, And and actually, yeah, even the art stuff that I did when I was like, before I came to grad school, that has kind of informed a, a little bit of my work, at least, I would say, in a couple of ways. So um, uh, when I was at grad school, um, there was this really cool lab called Studio Lab. It was kind of like a center um, run by um, Neil Amram. He was faculty there. And it was this place, it was a studio for scientists and an artist and a lab for artists. So it was trying to bring like artists and scientists together. And so somehow I ended up there in my, it was like a physical space. So I ended up there in my first year um, just as my like office where my computer was stationed. And there were all these people doing like the weirdest stuff in the background all the time. and a lot of it was like data sonification and data visualization, but not like straight, like here's a data, let's like sonify it. It was, it also artists and, and other people to kind of represent the data in an interesting way. Um, and so I was all over that. And um, I was lucky enough that they let me in <laughs> to do a lot of that kind of stuff on the side. And this was all like, you know, evenings and, and weekends type stuff. Um, and uh, so it, it entailed like, playing data with musical instruments um, and oh, wow. I started like dancing data with the percussionists. So cool. And things like that. And by doing that, um, one, it was fun and I got to know the people there um, better, which I feel like makes your everyday life um, really fun and interesting. Um, but it also gave me a, a, a deeper sense of the type of data I was working with. So um, a lot of the data was intensive longitudinal data. So when you collect a lot of data on individual individual people as they go about their daily lives, and I I'm kind of that's what I do now. I'm kind of obsessed with with that type of data, but you know you don't know that data until you dance it or until you you make a musical score out of it. Um, and so I feel like that that was um, helpful. Um, yeah, that's good to know. Well. Uh, the last one, the last question I have is kind of a general one, but how do you balance career goals with other things in life? Um, I feel like from early on, um, like for me, family comes first, like my husband is, and my dog now, my, my dog, my cat, <laughs> are like the, the, the kind of most important thing. So even when I was looking for like um, PhD programs um, that was guided both by like my excitement about like the programs, but also, you know, the realities of like, I wanted to be um, near family and things like that. Um, and I think, I think it's, so there's a lot of talk of like work-life balance, but I I mean, maybe I'll find out in like, you know, three or four years time when I go for tenure or whatever, but like, I try my best to like treat it as a job in that, like when I was doing my postdoc, I would get in super early. So I'd all, I used to wake up really early and then I would be in the, uh, I, I, would, I, would, I would, you know, be in for at least like eight, if not like seven in the morning. And then I would work to like four or five, Monday to Friday. 
And I was not like that for my PhD actually, which was probably bad. Um, but for postdoc, I was like, okay, I want, I want a normal job. Um, yeah. And when you sit down and you do like sustained work for that amount of hours, you get a lot, a lot done. I don't know if I personally would be much more productive after that. There were times, so I did a lot of data collection in my postdoc too. And so in, in some cases, like I would spend a couple of hours in the evening, like running participants, um, which didn't take a lot of like brain power, right? It's like a process through. Um, and then also just like, you know, if I tried to do anything beyond that, my husband would not be having any of it. So <laughs> in some ways, in some ways, I feel like having a family kind of like helps in, in yes. terms of like reining you in and, and keeping um, you on task in, in those, um, yeah, in terms of like the amount of time you're, you're spending. This series is brought to you by MindCore, the mind and brain center for outreach, research, and education at the University of Pennsylvania. If you have a question you would like featured on PhD Mystified, feel free to tweet us at PennMindCore and follow us for updates on upcoming episodes. Lastly, I want to thank Dr. Leiden Stolle for allowing us to interview him for this podcast. And I also want to thank you, the listener, for taking time to listen to his story.